podcast is sponsored by Zero Accounting Software, who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly. For help in getting your business digital ready, visit xero.com. Hello everyone and welcome back to Series 2, Episode 6 of the She Can, She Did podcast. Wherever you are in the world listening to this right now, I hope you're well and having a lovely week so far. And if for whatever reason you're having one of those weeks that tests you beyond belief, I hope that it's temporary and you know that deep down you've got this and it sorts itself out soon. If we haven't met yet, I'm Fee and I'm the founder of She Can, She Did, which, as I always say, means that I'm the one asking the questions throughout this chat. And if you're a regular listener, welcome back, hello again, and thank you so much for listening once again. Before I introduce the lovely lady that is Emily Robertson, aka the amazing female founder that I got to chat to on this week's episode, if you're thinking about joining Zero or you're on the hunt for an accounting app that will make that oh-so-dreaded tax return in January a whole lot less stressful, it's worth noting that Zero are offering all she can she did listeners and readers an oh-so-exclusive code that gives you your first month free with 50% off their accounting software for a further six months. So please do feel free to take advantage of that offer by using the code SCSD50, all in capital letters. With that little sales pitch done and dusted, back to this week's episode, which I was so, so excited to record because it features the story behind one of my all-time favourite gin brands, which, if you know me well, you'll know is quite a loaded statement because I absolutely love my gin, as you know, and have tried a fair few in recent years, especially since the launch of the Midweek Mingles last April. The story in question belongs to 27-year-old Emily Robertson, the founder of Cambridge-based Roundwood Gin. Having first met when Emily agreed to be the all-important G&T sponsor at the Birmingham leg of the Midweek Mingle Roadshow back in July, I instantly fell in love with her brand when she rolled up to the event in quite possibly the coolest branded gin truck I've ever seen and proceeded to serve the yummiest drinks all evening. With so many gin brands popping up left, right and centre in recent years though, I was intrigued to find out why exactly she decided to enter such a saturated market when the idea for Roundwood popped into her head in 2016 and given that it's all too easy to assume that running a gin brand must be all fun and games the reality of what launching and running a gin brand looks like behind the scenes from why her and her fiance now have a no gin in the bedroom rule and what co-founding a business together has meant for their relationship how she went about financing the brand given that launching a gin company is no mean feat how she's handled all the niggling challenges that come with product-based businesses including the initially overwhelming minimum order requirements, lead times and a missing delivery story that is up there with one of the most stressful courier stories that I've heard to date, to why she's more than happy being a small fish in a big pond when it comes to the competition and why Roundwood's focus is very much on cementing their name locally first and foremost. I already loved Roundwood Gin before this interview, but I know full well that I'm going to appreciate any Roundwood G&T going forward more so than ever now because of how much work Emily has put in behind the scenes to get her memorable brand off the ground as always i really really hope you enjoy listening to us chat where should we start i feel like you work with your husband i'm gonna go in to be to be oh really (laughs) to be okay next but still i feel like going into business with a fiance 
from the outset. That's like right in at the That's deep end. Yeah. I love it. Okay. I'm always so intrigued with it. Well, them. he still has what we call a proper job. Oh, does he? Yeah. So are you... Are you I, I'm the only full-time person. Amazing. Let's go back to that beginning because okay. I read that you were having a little chat over a G&T. Yes. So Where did the idea come from? The idea was that I wanted to do something and it could have been anything. Yeah. And actually there was a time when we thought it was going to be crisps. And we <laughs> did all sorts of trials because Rupert grows potatoes and we did yeah, lots of crisp trials at home but then started looking at it from more of the business side and actually worked out that the sort of snack market is moving healthier and yeah, we yeah. didn't really want to do a healthy crisp. <laughs> <laughs> so we also like gin. Who doesn't? I Who don't doesn't? Trust <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't say that because I get the occasional message before an event saying, Is there a soft drink option? I'm not a gin girl. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh. Yes, yeah, so we liked gin, already had a bit of a collection, and being really honest, it started as a slightly jokey suggestion that we could make it and turned into obviously hours and hours of research. And then Which saying. Which sounds like the best research. Yeah, can't complain. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the moment that we registered the company, we were sat on the sofa with a G&T and just thought, right, we're just going to do it. And we'd kind of been brainstorming all the names and coming up with a, a brand name is one of the hardest things. So that's kind of been simmering away for a while, different options. And then we just decided and we just did it there and then registered it. And I think you get to that point where you've got to do it now. A hundred percent. I always feel like it's that kind of, especially when a name's there, I feel like the name makes it real and you're suddenly not talking about Definitely. an idea, you're talking about this brand. It becomes a thing. Yeah, it becomes a thing and especially registering straight away. I know. That's really exciting. Let's go back to that research. I mean, what did that involve? Because I'm just thinking in my gin cupboard at home, I, I mean, it's the best research. Just, <laughs> what, were you, what were you looking so for? So the because research is, only one side of it is actually how the gin is going to taste. Yeah. So obviously that is the best bit of the market research doing the tasting yeah. but there's so many other elements that go towards setting up the distillery so it actually took us nearly two years until we had the product to launch so in that time there was a lot of like the legal side all the licensing and that sort of thing also the branding and obviously getting the gin to be what we want but in terms of that bit which is the, obviously the most fun we did loads and loads of different sort of focus groups any friends and family that came around we were like right tasting gin I think they must have got <laughs> sick of so us popular. talking about gin especially when it took so long because we're just still talking about it and still don't have anything for yeah, anyone yeah. to taste but we did loads of yeah focus groups and blind tastings where we would say get eight different classic dry gins and taste them blind and get people to give feedback on what they liked and didn't like in each one but then also we would get them to rank them in okay if you have to pick one that's your favorite or you know try and put them in an order of preference mm -hmm. and we were kind of hoping from that to discover maybe one or two key botanicals or flavors that everyone seemed to like that were most popular but actually we basically found that there isn't a favorite and I suppose our conclusion was everyone's tastes are actually very very different so and gins are so varied and tasting them side by side which maybe you don't normally do does highlight the differences that are, that are between them so our conclusion after a lot of the a lot of the blind tastings was okay we've got to actually make a gin that we like because you can't please everyone everyone's tastes vary so vastly that we're going to be the ones making it and selling it so mm -hmm. we've got to like it so that was 
quite a moment when we were like, right, we could do anything. (laughs) (laughs) And what did you decide on? So we kind of learnt through tasting lots and lots of gins as well, what we liked and what we didn't like. So we tended to not be so keen on gins that were super spicy or really, really peppery. Some of them can have quite harsh flavours, which Mm. some people really like, but we tended to prefer gins that were like really nice and smooth, sometimes with like a slightly fruitier edge rather than like a peppery flavour. We went down that route and then we've also wanted to incorporate some botanicals which were kind of inspired by where we live which so all our branding is all woodland and illustrated so we wanted to kind of include some of that so we've made quite a feature of distilling with elderberries which you know are are all around us where where the distillery is and where where our house is so that's kind of the fruity element then from the citrus side we have gone down the orange route so Typically there's some kind of some kind of citrus in in most gins. Typically it's sort of been lemon or lime. People are doing Mm. some more exotic things as well. But that's the thing, I think that's why it does stand out because obviously I've tried a few um, (laughs) with the mingles and you know, I remember when I first started drinking gin teas, it was always like lemon. Like mm-hmm. that was what you put in. Then I moved to grapefruit, mm-hmm. and now I'm like I was down in Dorset with my best friends at the weekend. And we had gin came up because we were drinking a lot of it, and I was like, oh, and we put orange, orange, and orange and fresh thyme. Yeah, yes. so just a bit Amazing. of the orange peel because if you if and you put a whole beautiful. slice in. It can just overpower it, so we've, we've stuck with doing the peel and the thyme, which, yeah, it's got a really nice sort of fresh aroma, and the two together look really good in the glass too, mm. which is They important. do, it's like super important <laughs> with your bottle, yeah. everything. You obviously mentioned, like, the legal side of things, the fact that you had to get a distillery. It's one of those things where launching a gin brand, or launching any alcohol brand, mm-hmm. it sounds like, oh, it's going to be so much fun, um, <laughs> what's not to love? But when you do think about it and you break it down like that, that to me screams expensive and also a headache. Like that's a yeah. lot to get your head around and you know, a lot of TNCs if you're gonna be putting something out for the public. Definitely. Yeah. So how did you approach that side of things from like a financial perspective and also just knowing where the hell to start? Yeah. So I'm a big lists person <laughs> <laughs> and I think yeah, when you say I'm gonna start a distillery as a whole, that sounds incredibly daunting, but... Slash impressive. Slash <laughs> impressive. But can actually be broken down. So there's the kind of admin legal side. That it was something I know, knew nothing about. Google is a wonderful place. <laughs> but actually, some of, some of it is still quite hard to find out. So there was quite a lot of talking to people that had done it or knew about the industry and knew kind of the hoops that you did have to go through. And they were happy to help? Yeah, on the whole. Um, everyone's actually been very friendly, very helpful. Um, so I, I also went on a three-day, it was called like a startup distilling course. And actually most of the content was around like the paperwork side rather than how to distill. So that was helpful. I think I, I went on that a little bit further along my journey than others had, which was in a way quite reassuring and we'd already done a lot of the things that they were teaching us about which was quite good you, like, but it the, did the feel like the peak of the front like I <laughs> <answer>. <laughs> no <laughs> it's not normally <laughs> but it's daunting and, and there's a lot of hoop jumping and I would go to apply for say one license that I knew we needed but they would say oh you need this and this and this first and I think oh I've only heard of two of those I'd have to go off and read out something else. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of it. And I think some of it would be the same for producing any food. So there's like the food hygiene side, but then the alcohol side, again, is more complicated. 
there's like the weights and measures side and making sure that you're measuring accurately in mm. in bottles but then yeah also the HMRC side and duty and everything but I sort of slowly got my head around it but that was something which I, I genuinely kn- knew nothing about mm. so just it was a, just a steep learning curve and just it. keep going yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah so true and then like financing it so yeah as you mentioned we didn't pick a very cheap startup no, <laughs> and a lot of the costs are up front so there's obviously the main bit of equipment we need is is our still and we just to set the record that's that big that's the thing. big copper thing yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we actually a few years ago went to a conference I suppose in London it's called craft distilling expo right and it's got loads of different seminars and chats with industry people but also there are all the people in the trade so there's lots of manufacturers lots of people that make bottles that make stoppers that so it was just a great place to get contacts and it was from there that we met various still manufacturers and then started to speak to them about what we needed and what we wanted and getting quotes and that sort of thing Mm. but none of that comes cheap (laughs) so we put quite a lot of savings into it so basically we (laughs) we tend to say we didn't buy a house we bought a still instead (laughs) so there was some personal investment but we also got a loan through virgin loans company so it's like the startup loan so we got 25,000 from them and actually the one of the benefits other than obviously the money (laughs) in getting that was it was not very straightforward to get necessarily because there were just a lot of steps which I understand you know they're not just going to give it to anyone but it actually made us really think about the business so it we'd already done kind of a rough business plan but they wanted to see certain things and actually I think that's quite useful to kind of be made to do it because it makes you think about it so it honestly I think that like there's something about you start those conversations and you haven't thought of half you think you know your stuff and then they say but have you thought about this and you're like oh shit right back to the drawing board but every step you look back don't you like oh I've come a really long way since that first time I met them or whatever so that was actually a very helpful step and that was one of the first kind of proper things we did focusing Mm. on the business because obviously we knew we needed the money (laughs) and we looked at different grants different avenues we were going to go down the so there's a a thing called leader grant which is it's like a rural business grant but the way it works doesn't seem to make much sense to me but (laughs) they will pay you back for things but you have to have already paid for them which doesn't then make much sense if you haven't got the money anyway and the time frame it could take up to six months to get approval and until you got approval you weren't allowed to order anything and now the problem we had was that the lead time on our equipment was they said it was going to be five months it was actually ten but that time was already you know we didn't want to wait six months for approval Mm. then another we just wanted to get going so Financing is always. Oh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's biggest always, headache. You could do, yeah. you know, any business. Everyone knows that, like, you could launch anything if you have the money behind you. But it's just, yeah, you know, it doesn't. Life doesn't work like that, does it? Yeah. <laughs> no. Nope. <laughs> yeah. No. I mean, that's amazing. And I guess I've also heard with Virgin that you get a lot of support. Like, yeah. Sort of so like there's a. As well. So you have someone that helps you with the business plan if you haven't kind of already done it you then get given a mentor for your first year so that was actually quite useful because our first year we weren't actually trading it was still all set up time I think we could have made more use of them if Mm. you know it was a trading business but it's it still wasn't yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's so true what about 
competition because I was having a little peek at your Instagram mm-hmm. and there's such an amazing quote from Gin Boundary and they've said, this is a review of you. So gin is so big and loud now that new brands must feel as though they're lighting a match in the middle of an explosion. Their efforts, no matter how big, come from the perspective of those doing it, feel slight compared to the surging storm. It takes a lot to stand out these days, and it takes even more to stand out without being completely absurd. But quietly, confidently, and with a fantastic eye for design, stand out is exactly what the makers of Roundwood Gin have done. Looking on from the distance, we think their match has sparked brightly. I like that. It's really nice, isn't it? It's an amazing quote. Yeah. And I just think that could have summarised it better in the sense that you were entering such a saturated market. Mm-hmm. There are, like, I come to get the gin brands from the Mingles. There mm-hmm. are so many out there nowadays. It's mad. There are, yeah. And it's like, like you know, I've said to you so many times since the Birmingham Mingle, you genuinely really stand out. So how Thank did you. you approach the competition from the early days? And how has your attitude evolved towards it? As, as your business, you, you're more confident, I guess, in the brand. Yeah, so we knew that the gym market was growing, but bear in mind when we first had the idea was 2016. Mm-hmm. That first two years of setup was so frustrating because you just feel like you can't get there quick enough and you just see more and more brands popping up. But we kind of took the view that, the, okay, the market is growing fast as well and if we can just have a tiny piece of that, <laughs> we'd be happy. So in terms of of competition I suppose our focus and our market is still fairly local or regional and I don't feel like we've sort of lost too many deals because there are a lot of other gins because all the all the pubs all the shops and everything are also looking for more gins because people are buying it so we knew that it was competitive and we never go to an event where we're the only gin very rarely but we could just sort of expect it and actually I've been quite surprised that we regularly talk to different distilleries and everyone is so friendly yeah. that it does just feel like a nice community. Yeah, it's so true. <laughs> like, I haven't, I haven't met a, a dodgy gym brand at the event. Oh, so good. Like, <laughs> no, but it's so true. Like, I've heard it about like the superfood space and everyone, the like, wellness industry, there's so many industries popping up and everyone's just... Yeah. There's something about that startup mentality at the moment where everyone's kind of got each other's back. Yes. And the other thing was, what's popular now in gin, a lot of it is quite... Or can be the flavoured gins or gins which I would call like more novelty. So all like, the glittery ones or the blue ones. And we really wanting to steer clear of that side because yeah. we thought really maybe an element of that is going to die off a little bit but a good decent classic gin should be here to stay so we we've really wanted to, to stay away from that so we've kept it really classic and I mean quite often when there are other brands at events and things they'll have a massive range of different gins but I think in some ways we stand out for just having a gin. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I suppose it's, it's a different market space but that's actually good. one that's been fairly well received. My um, my grandma's 100 and she swears wow. by the fact that it's that gin to each day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh good, let's hope. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's always like a real classic, classic gin tea so oh, good. Let's move on to the challenges. So what have been the biggest hurdles you've had to face so far and how do you overcome those? So there's probably many hurdles. One of the more difficult things, especially very early on, is meeting 
minimum order mm. requirements of ordering, say, your bottles, ordering, I don't know, stoppers, labels, that sort of thing. Like, the minimum orders can be ridiculous, ridiculous to, to a small brand. So we order our bottles in 10 pallets at a time, which is a lot of bottles. But when you're in month one, that feels like a huge, yeah. big thing. So getting your head around slightly bigger quantities <laughs> when in your mind that like, you're making, you know... <laughs> gin in your little distillery can be a challenge and sort of budgeting for that as well like when there's huge costs but then that's going to last you for ages can yeah. be quite difficult to manage on a, like a kind of emotional level I think as well it's like that added pressure yeah it's, it's kind like, of got like, them all oh, now <laughs> now I've got to sell these and it's yeah. that kind of there's no which maybe is a good thing yeah yeah, yeah. Maybe everyone loves a little thing. bit of pressure sometimes but, but that can be challenging well. and I mean now I sort of know but I wasn't in a in an industry where I knew any of that stuff, like manufacturing and, and also lead times, waiting for things. It's so frustrating when there's something which is just completely out of your control yeah. that you just think, I can't do anything to hurry this up. And you just, just got to hope. So, so <laughs> hope it. And, and actually that has probably been one of the more challenging things in the past year is kind of forward planning because it's very hard to actually know in year one how much you're going to sell and in what months like you know roughly okay Christmas is going to be busy but you don't know how busy, how busy. Yeah. so it's forward planning when are you going to order stuff for it to be here in time that you've sold enough and all of that so that's definitely one of the more challenging things but hopefully something I'm getting better at. <laughs> and in, in terms of that kind of you know you said about the months getting busier like how how have you seen that brand grow? So yeah Christmas was actually really busy. We're busy with events all summer kind of till the end of September. We thought then maybe October would be a bit quieter before ramping up to Christmas in November but October didn't really stop either, so we just keep making more and more gin to try and get you know the shelves full ready for Christmas. But our entire like Christmas allocation sold in November, and because of that, this is what I was saying about ordering with lead times. We ran out of labels in the last week of November, so we had two weeks waiting for labels, which was actually pretty good compared to some of the other (laughs) lead times, and we were then basically manic so I was making loads and loads of gin ready for it to bottle and label Mm -hmm. as soon as they arrived and luckily we did have enough to kind of tide us through and and no one actually hopefully noticed (laughs) but that was one of the stressful kind of oh god this is our busiest month and we've we've screwed it up (laughs) (laughs) so we then also knew that January was going to be quieter people give up drinking and also if they're gin drinkers they probably got given some for Mm -hmm. Christmas so we, we yeah we're sort of slowly working out <laughs> the, the peaks and things but once people seem to have started drinking again in the year so we from sort of May onwards it's food festival season and all of that uh, and then it doesn't really stop till December yeah. which is great. I saw you at the game fair. I messaged yes. you didn't I because yeah. my parents went to that and they bought those brownies back. Oh my god. <laughs> the brownies they were great. Incredibly rich. <laughs> I know I just I took one bite and I was like looking at them and I was like oh I don't need those and then I, I took a bite and I was that was game over. They yeah. Were, <laughs> but like festivals, I suppose they're amazing ways to get in front of people. They are really good, and actually, we've been doing a lot of that. So you have to kind of always weigh up which ones you're going to go to because mm-hmm. you can't go to them all, both and for time and money. Yeah. So pitch fees can be very expensive or feel very expensive when you're still small, but also yeah, are a great platform. So we've, in terms of sort of marketing in general, we've been doing as much social media as we can. But then also the event side. And, but what we've done with social media, which was quite interesting and, and 
not something I'd actually sort of done on purpose, but worked really well, was because we had this really long setup time, I'd just been started putting photos on Instagram, mainly for friends and family who were sick of us talking about <laughs> gin to see what we were doing. But it actually meant by the time we launched, there was already quite a back catalogue of like the setup, which yeah. people find really interesting as well. And it makes your brand look a little bit more established when there's already 100%. some posts. <laughs> 100% one of the reasons for She Can She Did, that I got really fed up with kind of how businesses are portrayed sometimes where you get like a spotlight on someone that's already made it and it's always their successes and it's mm -hmm. like there's so much work that's gone in to get to that place definitely and so I've, I've always documented from day one like every couple of months I'll check in and do what's been going on yeah. just so that I've, I've got that backlog to look back on and be like yeah. one day fingers crossed if it if it, I feel successful I can look back and be like I worked remember so then. bloody hard for yeah. that, like, and no one can doubt that. And I think the setup for a distillery, like we said earlier, like, there's just so much that goes into it. Yes, it can't be yeah. overlooked. It's got to. Yeah. So there's there's the social media side, which has been great. Although there are definitely kind of waves when I've been really proactive, really on it, and then suddenly everything's really busy and overwhelming, and you realise you haven't done a post for a week. <laughs> but I think that's just the nature of oh, a small business and trying to juggle it all. Like sometimes. Mm -hmm something takes a back seat and honestly and I am um, I'm so with you on that with Instagram I just think that if you haven't posted in a week so, so what people yeah. get so worried about yeah. it and it's just like there's so much more probably no one has noticed oh, but you <laughs> exactly oh my sister says that to me all the time like no one cares in the no. nicest way she says if I'm stressed about something yeah. no one else cares for me no. like it's like okay <laughs> well <laughs> that hurts yeah <laughs> yeah it's so, so true. what about emotional challenges like I guess the realities I suppose of now being your own boss this you know you said that you're full-time with this and you're the only full-time member like how has that played out in your head emotionally so I think in some ways I've quite enjoyed doing everything because I like the variety mm -hmm. but obviously that adds pressure <laughs> and slowly I'm sort of figuring out okay which bits do I not enjoy or which bits am I probably not as good as someone else might be at like. and it's working out like which bits hand over so it's really difficult and it's actually some days sort of depends on your mood like some days you're just happy sat at your desk just going through emails you can't be bothered to talk to anyone but obviously that's not going to necessarily sell you gin <laughs> so <laughs> so a lot of the actual kind of selling is probably out of my comfort zone mm -hmm. but has been something I've had to get my head around that obviously you've got you've got to do it you've made this product now yeah. you've got to get people to actually buy it so I think the sales that can be quite hard something a lot of people struggle with yeah I know that when I first started meeting sponsors I was like oh, no yeah it's really hard you get used to it though don't you I think you do get used to it definitely and the more meetings and things you do you know what people are going to ask and can be more prepared but mm -hmm. definitely like some of those first meetings I look at and I think why was I actually stressed it's with like a tiny I don't know, a tiny coffee shop or a little deli or like why but at the time you put a lot of pressure on yourself, yeah, don't you? Yeah. So definitely like juggling it and I'd go back to my lists, having loads and loads of lists, that definitely helps. But emotionally, like, yeah, you can feel the pressure. Mm. But I well, don't know, you just get on with it, I think, yeah, don't yeah. you? <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Zero Accounting Software who proudly support female entrepreneurs and help business owners to see their finances clearly. For help in getting your business digital ready, visit xero.com. 
And what about the dynamic with you and Rupert? Like, how has that been? Because, like, like I said at the beginning, to me, I'm always fascinated when people go into business with family mm-hmm. or partners, whoever it might be, best friends. I always think so much respect, big risk. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I moved up to Cambridge, which is where he was, basically because we'd lived all over the country, but not together. And it gets to the point, I think, in any relationship, you're like, right, if this is, if we're going to be together, we've got to actually live in the same place. <laughs> so it got to that point. But we knew, well, we knew each other quite well, but I think you always learn more living with someone and then obviously working with someone as well. So I think we work quite well together. He's much more of a let's just do it sort of person. And I think I needed that to actually start. Mm-hmm. So I could talk about all these ideas, things I wanted to do and how I was going to work for myself, but didn't quite know what. And I think sometimes you need a person that's just going to give you a little push. And he definitely is that person. So he would be like, well, let's just do it then. Let's mm-hmm. just do it. And it's probably a really pessimistic way of looking at things. But I think I tend to say, okay, what's the worst that can happen? Yeah. And as soon as I worked out, okay, the worst that happens is it all completely fails and I go and get a job again. Mm. I think that's the optimist's answer. Is what? it? Okay, yeah, that's good. What's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? The pessimists to me would talk themselves completely out of it. Yeah, and I think otherwise... I probably have a tendency to overthink a lot of things, mm. which maybe is good in some ways. Like, I've already thought through all the possible scenarios. Yeah, you're prepared. But, <laughs> yeah, prepared. But then also, there's definitely something to be said for just doing it. Let's just see. Someone We're kind of a good in, balance of that. Yeah, someone said in a podcast a few weeks ago, they called it analysis paralysis. And I thought that's oh, such yeah. a perfect way of describing it. Because definitely. Because you can just talk yourself out of something so easily. If you, you like, can. listen to like little demons, you're like, oh no. <laughs> but actually, yeah, you've yeah. just got to dive, dive in. So day to day, I'm running the distillery, basically. Although Rupert definitely does more than his fair share. Yeah, alongside his proper job. Which is what? So he is the assistant estate manager on a country estate, okay. so it's a lot of farming, yeah. commercial property. Oh, amazing. Different, yeah, yeah, real mixture. Yeah. He obviously does that day to day, but then does gin stuff in the evenings, and I can always ask him anything, or we run through decisions jointly and that sort of thing. So I'd say we're a good combination, but he also has a, another job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, definitely. I trust that there'll be gin at the wedding. Yeah, there will be gin at the wedding, definitely. Good. Good, good, yeah. Good. I do, I do think that it can be, <laughs> yeah, it can be difficult living and sharing business together because there's that element of you, sometimes you just need to switch off and the easiest thing to talk about is the business because mm. there will be something to talk about because there always is. And I was finding, especially kind of in the very first bit that if we were having conversations in the evening I then wouldn't be able to sleep because I was just you know and you're just like thinking things over (laughs) so we introduced the no no gin in the bedroom rule (laughs) (laughs) basically means you're not allowed to talk business as soon as you've got to bed so So, um, so, honestly (laughs) I felt like the first maybe six weeks of she can she did because I didn't know what I was trying to do I I obviously knew like why I was doing it I didn't know what it was going to look like does that yeah. make sense? Yes, yeah. so you've got to figure it out. You figure I, it out as you go. Yeah, but there, I just felt so much pressure on my shoulders to turn it into something that my brain was just not switching off when I got to bed. Yeah. And then obviously, like now it's okay, but mm. like, there might be the odd stressful night or something. Yeah. But I just remember those first few weeks being like, oh my god, yeah. I can't switch off. No, exactly. I've, I've never been a bad sleeper. Yeah. Like my friends and family will vouch for the fact I can sleep anywhere. <laughs> But yeah, suddenly I was like, oh, I had this sleep problem, and you just think, oh, yeah. just can't switch off. Yeah, and it's like a lose lose, isn't it? Because you need your energy yeah. in those first And then you get stressed you? that you're not sleeping. sleeping and, absolutely, yeah. vicious no. cycle, vicious cycle. Definitely. Whilst day on the job? 
So we'd arranged this big launch weekend on the weekend that we were going to launch. <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. That makes sense. <laughs> and we're expecting our bottle delivery six weeks before that. We thought we'd left ourselves loads of time. So they come over from France and the delivery date kept getting pushed back a little bit. But it would be like sort of five days and I think, oh, that's fine. We've still got loads of time. And then it would get pushed back again, pushed back again. And we got to the point that it was meant to be arriving on the Wednesday before our launch on the Saturday. So we thought, right, it's fine. We're just going to have everything else ready. All we've got to do is bottle all this stuff. Okay, we might have a couple of late nights, but it'll be fine. And then it might have even been on the Wednesday. They said they're not going to be with you before the weekend. You just start thinking, oh, like, no. (laughs) And we were just like, what can we do? We need them. Like, it's not an option. (laughs) And it happened to be a bank holiday weekend and I think there'd been a holiday in France as well so it all like all the manufacturing was a bit off and anyway we said the only way we're going to get them in time is to drive there and pick up some bottles we knew we couldn't bring back obviously or we're not going to hire a lorry but we could bring back what we needed for the weekend to get by until they properly arrived so working out that that was probably the most stressful day and thank god it all actually worked but we sent Rupert's brother who conveniently had just finished a French degree so we were like perfect (laughs) and um, we sent him off to France to go and bring back a car full of bottles basically from a factory so he that is such a commitment (laughs) well we were thinking like how is he actually going to do this you can't just you know shove all the bottles in the car so we basically like assembled a carload of box empty boxes to put in the car for him then to unload fill up and bring back so he left early morning i think on the friday because they weren't going to be ready till the friday got there oh no he left on thursday night really late went overnight was there when the factory opened on friday morning and was then in a in a queue of lorries in his little pickup well it's not it's actually quite big car but it's you know small for a lorry and everyone was kind of a bit confused why he was there even though we told them right we're coming (laughs) so he then sort of got the front of the queue started unloading I think it was like 85 boxes onto the just onto the tarmac and the French forklift driver then brought out our pallet and was basically convinced he could get it in the back of the truck like without putting them all in the boxes he just said I can just put the whole pallet in but at this point, they'd already taken like the pallet wrap off to put to you know take the box yeah. off, and so he's thinking, "Oh God, this is so precarious!" And lifted up, and it did actually fit in the back hole. So then we had all of I these boxes. No, it did work. It, it did I was work. Like, oh my God, that's stressful. No, no. <laughs> I'm kind of glad I wasn't there. <laughs> but then Eddie, Rupert's brother, rang me and said, "Do you mind if I flat pack all these boxes again because they're not going to fit in now? They've not got bottles in." So, yeah, he got them all back in and then drove all the way back. Obviously, round the M25 on a bank holiday Friday was was busy. (laughs) He got to us at about 8pm on Friday night. We then bottled overnight and did our event on Saturday. Oh, my God, Emily. That is actually horrendous. Yeah, so that was definitely the most stressful day. I literally love them. Like, no offence. Like, I'm revelling in your misery. But, like, I feel like... It's fine now that it's it's happened. But that's where passion comes into it. Like, if you didn't care about your business, you'd sack it off. We could have just said, we can't do the weekend. But we'd already committed. We were doing, like, a big gym bar at, like, a big beer festival and lots of promotion and stuff. And we were like, we've got to do... Not doing it was never really an option. So we just got on with it. I hope you gave him a free bottle as a thank you. 
you. He got the very first bottle. Really? There yeah. you go. Oh, that's right. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> and a Domino's. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, what about proud moments? So I tell you what's always a really nice moment, and it's only started happening a bit more recently. So we now supply some kind of small distributors or wholesalers, and if I go into a place where I don't know the gin's going to be, and you see it on the shelf, yeah. that is just the nicest feeling, because it's... It's like that person had bought it because they wanted to stock it, not because I've been in there trying to sell it. Yeah. It's selling itself, and that's always really nice. Really, um, where, really nice. Whereabouts is it stocked now? Like you obviously mentioned, like local businesses, but like what are your plans for it? So we've been focusing on quite independent places. So a lot mm-hmm. of the wine merchants, pubs and restaurants, and small hotels, and that. But very locally. And actually, our plan is to really get our name like cemented as a well-known thing as I say, locally. Every event we go to, there's still people that don't know us, so it all still feels worthwhile. But I think spread slowly and and see how it goes. I think but there's plenty more market to tap into in a fairly small area, and we may as well do that, because the wider you spread, the more competition there is from other brands. Yeah. So we're, we're sticking with that for now. I absolutely love that, though, and it goes back, I suppose, to what, what that quote was saying about the fact that you can very much be the little fish in a big pond and make a massive difference still. Yes, don't have I'm to not trying to be the next crazy. big gin brand yeah, yeah. that the whole world knows. Yeah. Maybe I shouldn't say this, but <laughs> maybe we'll never get to that. <laughs> but no, but the thing is, is you don't I need to. The bigger you get, I'm really feeling this with She Can, She Did and my future plans for it, and what those big businesses actually mean for the founder's lifestyle, the sacrifices you're going to have to make, whether that's the kind of business you actually want to run. It's so mm. easy to be like, I want to be the next big thing. And it's mm. kind of like, well, what does, hang on. Yeah. What does that and it's mean not reality? saying you're not dreaming big. Yeah, hugely, hugely. But I think they, you've yeah, got to be kind of real. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> family friends boring them to death at the beginning you know how have your relationships with your family and friends evolved throughout this process and I always ask this question but have you seen any relationships change for the better or worse as your time has been taken up more by the business the business has grown all of that go for it so I don't know that anything's really changed I actually think that our friends and family are all really proud yeah and definitely like anything we put on Facebook they'll always be the first to share (laughs) which is lovely yeah everyone's been nothing but supportive to be honest some I suppose some people are more not critical but like they'll ask the questions like have you thought about this have you thought about this which is no bad thing and it's good to have lots of different opinions so (laughs) but I wouldn't say anything relationship wise has has changed that's so good and I I do think you know there's always going to be those people but sometimes it's helpful sometimes they come out with something you're like oh shit I actually haven't thought about that (laughs) right maybe I need to very true yeah no that's so good and in terms of like switching off you've obviously got you know gin in the bedroom rule (laughs) Um, but like what does downtime look like I think actually what is quite good is that the distillery is not at a house so it's I mean it's not far away it's like three miles of that but there's kind of that physical separation in place that you can switch off and go home. Mm. I mean, yes, yeah, sometimes I still might work from the sofa and that's fine as well, but the physical separation definitely helps yep. with switching your mind off. But in terms of like downtime, because of where we live, which is quite rural really, we spend a lot of time outside, so I just sort of take the dog out and 
Yeah. It's a dream. That's, That's what nice. I do. Yeah. And it's actually like, for Nothing me, it's particularly like exciting. It's just, you know, yeah, yeah. No, doing something different. I work for my parents each day because they live about 10 minutes down the road in the middle of nowhere. And I'm just like, that to me, I'm driving to work. Perfect. I get out the flat. Yeah. I need it because, in fact, they're having some work done on, on the barn at the moment. And next week, I won't be able to work there. And I've already got a bit of like angst about the fact mm. that I can't drive to work. I've got to be in my flat. I mean, I guess yeah. I could go to a coffee shop, but it all adds up, doesn't it? It's Definitely. Just that, it's that annoying thing of like, oh, like next week's going to be a bit. Yeah. yeah, and I, I think the other good thing is that not every day I'm in the distillery, like some days I'll be doing some deliveries, some yeah. days I'll be meeting always people, different. and it's always different, and that just keeps you going as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you mentioned you your jobs that you're not so keen on, what's your favourite part of it? I like making the gin, now it's I sort of know what I'm doing, but there was a lot of experimenting and like playing flavours, and it is kind of that balance between science and like taste and art really, I suppose it's like in between, because... Like, the distilling itself has quite a lot of science. Yeah. <laughs> and there's lots of different variables in terms of, like, temperature and uh, flavour. But it all kind of links up, and that's what's really cool. So I do like that side. What I did also you like in school? So... Were you, were you a science girl? <laughs> so I did physics. Yeah. I really should have done chemistry if I'd have known what I was going <laughs> into. But I did physics at, at A-level. My degree was in music technology. Okay. So, again, vastly different. But that that's a similar kind of balance of the creative side and the yeah, science side. Yeah. So a lot of what we did was kind of acoustics and science. I still did maths, like, the whole mm-hmm. course. But then also there's, like, the music-y creative bit as well. So I've always sort of been that in-between, which maybe is why I like... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> why I like gin. <laughs> <laughs> I also like a lot of the event stuff. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it feels like a lot of energy to summon up when you're... I'm really tired, but then you've got to go to be a really smiley, oh, you know, chatty person. So true. Uh, but actually, when I'm there, on the whole, I do enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I remember you to just rolling up in it. a van, and it was the coolest <laughs> thing I've ever seen. I mean, yeah. literally everyone needs a van. Like yeah, yours, they or do. Truck. I should say truck really, shouldn't I? Rounding up then, Emily, I ask everyone these. So I will basically start a sentence and I would like you to finish them, if that's okay with you, please. Yeah? I can try. <laughs> <laughs> I remember you saying that you were nervous about these. I know. So I'm like, what's going to come out Well, with? I don't know for some of them. It's just going to come out. <laughs> oh, that's the best way. Number one, being my own boss means... So, being my own boss means kind of ultimate flexibility, mm-hmm. but also mastering the art of prioritising. So I love being able to manage my own time and that sometimes it might mean, I don't know, meeting a friend for a coffee in an afternoon. Love that flexibility, but also prioritising, okay, that still needs to be done. It's like setting your own deadlines, but when it's only accountable to you, it was very easy for all of that just to slip and you just to do the fun bits. Yeah, yeah, hugely. But it's definitely prioritising and like being kind of strict, like this week I need to do this. Yeah. And I, I don't know, I find that I don't go for as many coffees now because I just feel like... It's money. Like, yeah, well, yeah, that, but also, like, I'm really kind of strict if, like, friends say that. I'm like, oh, no, I, just, I still work. Like, yeah. I need to get out of I that. think the only thing that kind of, I kind of justify it with is the fact that I work most weekends. Mm. So I think, actually, having one yeah. afternoon a bit more relaxed... It's so true. Maybe I should. Yeah, yeah, so you, you've earned it. Yeah. When it's not quite going to plan, my advice would be to... So this one was quite difficult when I was thinking about it, but 
I was trying to think, what do I actually do? And probably I will just switch the kettle on, make a cup of tea and think, okay, what is actually the problem? So we talked about it earlier, how you can just overthink things. And I think you can just blow things out of proportion, can't you, that actually aren't that big a deal. Mm. And okay, say something's happened that's gonna affect one person. Most of the time, if you just explain what exactly is happening to that one person, they'll be understanding and very reasonable, yeah. but in your mind you're like, oh god, like yeah. they're gonna <laughs> they're gonna, <kick laughs> they're gonna be awful. Over. Yeah, so I think sort of take a step back and just think, right, let's be real it's and work out what's actually the issue. Yeah. And going back to that no one cares. No one cares. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a harsh reality. <laughs> um, if I could go back to day one of my business I'll tell myself. Basically the same. Don't overthink things. Sometimes just try it and see. And again, what's the worst that can happen? <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Um, if I had to describe myself as a businesswoman, I would say that. So I find this really weird because I don't think of myself as a businesswoman. I always find it really funny, like what do I now say I do when I meet someone new? Like what do I introduce myself as? I do still find it amusing. Like I regularly get emails saying, you know, can you forward this to your marketing department or your accounts, the head of accounts? And I'm like, ooh, <laughs> my team, still me. <laughs> still me. Still and, and I think because of doing all these elements, I, I forget I have a business and mm. I am a businesswoman. Yeah. But I just wouldn't ever oh, call myself that. It's I'm really weird. Everyone's basically said that. And yeah. I don't know why I put that in there, because I don't see myself <laughs> as one. It is very, it kind of pigeonholes you in a certain light, doesn't it? It's a strange one, but you do hate to break it to you. <laughs> you do have yeah, a business. I am a business yeah. and I'm female. You are. So. <laughs> um, very lastly, Emily, I want my legacy to be that. I want my legacy to be that I've created a brand that has really high quality products that is recognisable, people know, and that I'm proud of. That's so good. Yep. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for listening to She Can, She Did. If you fancy being a complete star and doing your good deed for the day, please feel free to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes to give the She Can, She Did series a little boost and help others to find it. You can also attend the Midweek Mingles, the She Can, She Did event series for female founders and aspiring female business owners, featuring a whole lot of business inspiration and the all-important GNTs in equal measure. For more information and to book your ticket, head to www.shecanshedid.com. I would love to see you there.